We're in the middle of a a series, but before we get started here on uh, searching for authentic identity, we're also in a a little time of discernment here as a church where we're trying to figure out the trajectory of where God's leading us in regards to the bread ministry. You often see the bread out there every Sunday, and uh, we we significantly need some leadership help there, and so we have a couple job uh, profiles that are done up that Gord has done up, Gord Jarvey. So if you're interested in taking a leadership role there, you can talk to him or myself, and uh, we'd love to talk to you about that, whether this is something that God wants us to continue doing. Uh, we're just praying about that right now, but please let us know if you're interested in being involved in that. Searching for authentic identity, we've been going through a series now for quite a while. I think this is like week six on that. So if you're just joining with us, whether online or in person, if you could kind of go go back uh, and catch up a few things. What we've been looking at so far is really this understanding of who we are made to be. In other words, in our humanity, who are we? What has God made us to be? So we looked a lot at Genesis and the creation and being made in God's image and what does that mean for us to be made like him, like him in the sense that we're creative, like him in the sense that we're independent with will, like him that we've been made male and female. So we looked at those issues. This idea that we're to bring him glory, we're to reflect him in the world around us and the variety of ways we do that. And so throughout this series, we're recognizing that our society right now is struggling with identity and trying to figure out who they are. And so we've been trying to decide, you know, how do we find ourselves? I'm going to give you a quiz to start the day. Um, So for those online, you have to yell at the screen really loud. Um, And for those in person, I want to see if you can remember this, because I think I've said it almost every talk, and I'm not quite done yet. So the, the phrases are, I am not who, and I'm going to give you the first one, so get your brain going. I am not who you or who I think I am, right? I'm not who I think I am. And I'm not who, hey, that's pretty good. You think I am, right? But I really am who God says I am, right? Well, that's a good job. So when we're searching for identity, we're not doing it like the rest of the world where we sit back and we, we think about ourselves, we think about us and what we want to be or how we feel or our circumstances and come up with our meaning and purpose. I don't, I don't go out to try to find other people to validate or tell me who they think I should be or who I am. And a lot of times we grow up with that and that's hard and we have expectations put on us for sure. And parents, we try to do our best, but often we put a burden on our children by mistake sometimes. And they carry that around, either fighting something that they've got from us or trying to achieve something that their parents desire for us. But what we're trying to discover is who is it that God really says I am? From the core of my being, I am designed the way God wanted me to be. And so we've been looking at that, and we're going to transition now, this time, for a few weeks. And we just want to talk about we've been gifted but we've been designed by God, and in the Genesis story, we see a lot of that. We talked about Psalm 139, that God knit us together in the womb. He designed for us our, our lives, and that's all of us. That's everyone out there. That's everyone you can see, everyone you bump into, I believe. God designed them to be in his image, to reflect him. Not everybody does. But they were designed to do so. We were part of creation uniquely designed to be like him. And so then who are we now in Christ? And so when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, 
What does that mean for our identity? Who is it that we are now to be in Christ? And we need to know that and understand that as a church. And I want to turn to a passage. You'll see there's, there's some notes there, the massive passage in Colossians chapter 3. And I, I've skipped some verses in there because just it's a large passage and we want to get through quite a few things today. And in the middle verses, if you want to open your Bibles to Colossians 3, that would help you. But in your notes, there's some chunks missing, and it's all about a lot to do with sexual immorality, this idea of um, sin and, and using your body in a way that God didn't design it to be used. So that's all in there. But I want to give you the highlights because the reason he's able to talk about who we are designed to be and what we should avoid and no longer be a part of comes down to who we are. And so he says this in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ. A new life. So in Christ, right off the bat, when we come to follow Jesus Christ, he's given us a new life. And so we see this all throughout Paul's teaching, that there's an old and then there's a new. There's a new life with Christ. He says, because you have this new identity, a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Why is he saying that? Because your new identity is realized in the realities of heaven. In heaven's perspective, God sees you in himself, righteous and holy. So this is where, of course, Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. So think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. And I think this directly relates to our identity as well. So we need to think about ourselves in the way that heaven sees you. The realities of heaven, not the realities of this world. For, he says, you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ. So there's a died-to-life version of your life now. Interesting, really. And then there's a real-life-of-you version hidden in Christ. And I want you to see something because I think as you read your New Testament, as you read your Bible, you'll constantly find this tension. And we just want to, we got to bump up against it today on purpose. And then in your small groups, and as you talk with people, I want you to talk about this tension. We've already looked at it in Romans chapter 7 once, this tension. This tension of there's this, this reality of my old way, myself that I kind of see today, And then there's a reality that God sees me different. And it's a life that's hidden in Christ, in God. So when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So we continue on. So put on, put on your new nature. So there's a way, in other words, you can not put on your new nature. You can live like your old self. Or you can put on this new identity in Christ, a new nature. Be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So in other words, there's a process here. A process of learning to know our creator and learning to become like him. In this new life, your new identity in Christ, it doesn't matter anymore if you are a Jew or Gentile, or circumcised, or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Those are kind of weird terms for us to look around the room and go, well. (laughs) 
But that was their world. They would look at each other in those words. You were like, oh, one of them. You're the uncircumcised, or you're the circumcised, or you're, or you're a barbarian, or you're a slave, or you're a free person, you're a master. And so they, they saw each other in all these categories. And what he's basically saying to us is, forget those categories. They're not your primary identity anymore. Those identities, those labels that have been put on you in this life, in Christ, don't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter your status. In Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So whatever you do or say, going down to the bottom, verse 17, do it then as a representative of the Lord Jesus. It's part of your identity in Christ is that you are a representative now of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I have noticed, I hope you're noticing ever since Romans, we did a study on Romans together, because in Romans 1, and brought it up last week, when they failed to give thanks, everything went off the rails. We failed to give thanks. And now I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm seeing it, and I'm getting it from Paul all the time. Every time he says something about who we are and what you're called to do, he always says, and remember to give thanks. Remember to worship God for who he is. Remember that. Remember who you are. Remember who he is. Keep those two straight. When you give thanks to God, you remember he is God and you are not every time. Every time you pray, you acknowledge he is God and you are not. Every time you worship, you acknowledge that. Every time you give thanks. And so fundamental for our identity to, to be like him, to follow him, is to give thanks. So this tension, I want to talk about this tension between the today and the eternity or the forever condition. You who are you between these two realities is really important. You have this old self we talk about, we got with this new self. So we have this ongoing sin in our lives. We experience that. Romans chapter 7, we talked about that. And Paul is in this tension of doesn't want to do stuff, but he ends up doing it. Wants to do stuff, has a hard time doing it. And he's in this tension. And then we have this new self that's in Christ. This new identity that we're chosen, we're holy, and we're loved people. And we live in this meantime, in the meantime, in the middle of these things. And these are real existence. And so as we read our New Testament, we constantly see how it refers to us as a new person in Christ. Holy, forgiven, accepted. All these wonderful words we're going to look at in a few minutes. And yet, then we're called to then live it out. Behave like it. Don't do things anymore. Do these things. Because in reality, you are this way. I, I think, I, I get worried about trying to share this with you. Because I, I feel like I could mess it up. And I don't want to mess, mess it up and mess you up. But it's been so helpful for me. So I'm going to try to help explain. God is outside of time. And that sounds like a bizarre concept. But our days are like instants that he sees. And this causes so much confusion when we see scripture. God is able to see you today for today. He sees you. He sees your struggle. 
He understands your sin. He understands your old nature. He understands what you're going through, and he sees you today. But he's fully capable of seeing you fully completed in Christ in the heavenly realms today. He sees the end product. And not in a hypothetical way. He sees it done. He sees it finished. And so he sees you in both of these ways. And so our struggle as a believer is to understand that he sees us complete even though we know we're not complete. He sees us free of sin even though we know we still struggle in sin. He knows all of our days. He's seen them from the beginning to the end already. And in that process, I'll tell you what some people do, and I understand that not everyone agrees with this theology, but I think when we comprehend that, sometimes then people go, well, then God controls everything. I don't think so. I just don't. I mean, you can. I think he allows us still to have our free will. Our free will can never overtake his sovereignty. He's in complete control because he knows the beginning and the end. And so because he sees all of that, he anticipates everything we're going to do because he's seen it already. And so he understands it, and therefore he's able to have compassion with us, but he's also able to treat us as the finished product. In his eyes, we are sinless. And yet today, I think like you and me, we struggle from day to day. But because God is able to see the process, he is able to relate to us as we are in Christ. Because we've placed our life in Christ, he sees us through the viewpoint of Christ. Sometimes on the outside is not the reality on the inside. And sometimes there's things going on inside our body, right, where we're we're sick or we're not doing well, and we don't know until we get kind of an x-ray of what's going on the inside. And just because we don't know what's going on in the inside doesn't mean it's not real. And I think this reality with God is one of those challenges. He sees us in such a way that when we look in the mirror, we go, well, I don't see that. God says, but that's, that's actually the reality. So I, I started doing it. I would do these silly things, and I, you're getting to know me now over times, and I, I get down rabbit holes and trails. And I thought I remembered a story about a guy who by accidententally shot himself in the head with a nail gun and didn't know it. And I thought, is that real? Or I just remember that story coming across the line. And so I started researching, and I found, you know what, this isn't like one story. If you use nail guns, be careful. This is like, a, this is like a, a, an occurrence. This actually happens. And so I started looking at these stories, and there's this guy, Patrick. This guy, Patrick. And he's using a nail gun, and bam, it went off, and he's not sure, and he felt a sting, but he wasn't sure what happened to the nail, and they thought, well, did it go through right through the board? I don't know, he can't see it. And six days later, he has a toothache, he thinks, and so he goes to the dentist and says, I hurt up here. Can you see what's in there? And the dentist looks and sees the head of a nail way up in his gum in the x-ray. And he's like, oh, we got a problem. There's a four-inch nail that's gone all the way up past your eye miraculously. And it's an inch and a half in your brain. 
It's an inch and a half in your brain. And so he's 23-year-old, and he has still gone, kept working the rest of the day. Felt a little nausea, a little dizzy here and there, but kept working until he couldn't take the pain in the tooth. It was funny because then I, I found another one. There's another guy named Dante. He's working with a nail gun, and he bumped into the nail gun, and he's like, ow, I think I, something happened off the back of my head. But it was just barely bleeding. There was nothing there, and he kind of went, well, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it, it sounds like it went off, but... And he went back to work. And two days later, he's getting dizziness and headaches and that kind of stuff. And he goes to the doctor, and they're like, we have a problem. It's a three-and-a-half-inch nail all the way into your brain. And by the way, there's more stories than this one. In fact, this doctor, I just want to go up and get my notes and what he actually said. He said this was the third case, third similar cases that he had been working on for such incidents where the patient, and the second one, the second one where the patient did not know he had a nail in his head. The same doctor. So anyways, warning. So just because you can't see it or understand it or believe that it's there and it's true does not mean it's obviously true. And so this x-ray, this idea, and there's often times when we don't know what's going on the inside, and we have to go to the doctor, and they diagnose, and they tell us stuff, and we're, it's hard to believe and hard to comprehend when you get that kind of news. But I want you to understand that God's x-ray of you isn't just on what's the outside and sees on the inside. God's ability to see who you are passes actually time. Not just your physical nature, but he's able to see who you are today, but he sees you in light of who you will be in Christ in the heavenly realms. It's all at the same time. Because if you're like me, I wrestle with myself, and I wrestle with this understanding that God could treat me with such love and compassion and concern, and that he would lavish his love on me. But when I receive Jesus Christ, and I declare him to be Lord and Savior of my life, he takes me and he places me in Christ. And my identity forever changes from an old self, my sin nature, my rebellious nature, and I'm forever placed into Christ, into a nature that is redeemed, complete, in his sight, in his eyes. And so yes, there is a tension with this old self that we experience, but the tension does not exist from God's perspective. And so sometimes on this journey we get it's hard because what we have to understand is that the center of who we are, the center of who we are is Christ in you. That's the center of our identity in Christ. And then out from that, we're supposed to build and we're supposed to, Paul would say, change the way you think. Our mind now has to form around this new identity. And that takes faith. This is where the faith comes in. This is where trust comes in. I walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, trusting that he has changed my identity to be acceptable in his eyes. And I have to renew my mind. I have to change the way I think. I have to learn to see myself differently. 
despite what other people say, despite how I feel on a given day, I renew my mind. Philippians tells us, he tells us in the book of Philippians chapter 4, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, these things, think about them. Meditate on them. The beginning of Colossians 3, he says, put your sights there. Set your mind there. Think about the way you are in the heavenly realm. And once my mind begins to begin renewed and reformed, it starts to change the desires of my will. The center starts to change how I see myself and what I long for and what I desire. Your physical desires are impacted by your thought life. Your emotional desires are impacted by your thought life. We can't get into the psychology of it. I've mentioned it before, but it is so impactful. Who you believe you are determines your behavior and your desires more than you realize. Your brain is an amazing, complex thing. It's constantly trying to anticipate you. Constantly trying to preempt the situation you're facing. To release all things in your body so you can be prepared for whatever's coming. And so it changes how you think about things, how you meditate in your life, changes how your body reflects back the surroundings you experience. Your emotions and your desires physically and emotionally are impacted. And then ultimately, when this starts to be transformed from the inside out, we begin our behaviors start to change. But when we just try to change our behaviors, that's what I want to do typically. And, and in Christian circles, this is what we care about. Maybe you've grown up in the church and this is all you felt about. All you ever heard was change your behavior. Behave. Made sense? I mean, of course. Behave. I had to sit in the front row all by myself at the age of four. I tell this story. My wife's not here to fact check me today. She's running. But... It's true. She wasn't there. I sat there all by myself, and I had to learn how to, to behave. But when we try to behave in our morality without understanding who we are in Christ, without the right foundation, eventually you get tired and annoyed at trying to behave knowing that you actually can't do it. And so a lot of people leave the faith because they simply see the faith is all about this control of behavior and they don't understand that the root of our faith is not about what we're going to do or what we don't do. It's actually about who we become. We become a new person on the inside. And unless we understand that, we'll never be able to change the way we see life and think about life around us. And if we can't change the way we see life and see ourselves and see our worldview, it'll never change our heart's desires towards the things around us. And if our heart's desires are not changed, it will never, we'll never be able to change our behaviors and our patterns. That's why I, I believe it's more important, it really is, as a communicator of God's word, it is more important that I get you to care about what is in here than I get you to know what is in here. You can know it, but if you don't care, it won't change your behavior. But you can't care 
without it changing your behavior. And so this comes down all the way back to Christ in you. Ephesians 2, Paul says, God in his rich mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, so we had this old nature, we were dead, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now, I'm not there right now, but I am there from his perspective. In Christ, being saved by Christ means he's taken me, my old dead self, and he's given me a new life, and he's placed me with himself in the heavenly realms because I'm united, not because I deserved it, but because I'm united in Christ. Because that is where Christ is, that is where I am today in his understanding outside of time. He sees me there today. That's hard, you gotta admit, to get your head around. It's hard to get your head around, but this is, this is the tension in Scripture in the New Testament that I think bothers us a lot. How can God call us holy, and yet I see that I'm not? Because right now, from God's perspective, I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms because I'm united with Christ, not because I deserve it. He makes clear that. It's only by God's grace, Sean. It's not because you got there on your own or anything else. It's not because you deserved it. It's not because you behaved your way there. It's because the root is you're in Christ. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God prepared in advance for us to do. So I want to go through a couple things pretty fast. I know there's lots in your notes, and I only want to highlight one or two. I think it's really important that we wrestle with a different question than the rest of the world. Most of the world wants to wrestle with the question, who are you? For being in Christ, the question you need to wrestle is, whose are you? Whose are you? Are you your own? That is the foundation of the world right now. You are your own, your own person, your own future, your own destiny, your own whatever. And so you need to like live that out because you are it. You are, in a sense, God. And so you are the one in charge. Do what you need to do. But from a scriptural perspective in Christ, whose are we is very, very different. I want to go through a few, and I want to pass by some that we're so used to hearing about, and it makes me bothered a little bit, okay, <laughs> for sure. One is you are loved. You hear about it a lot, I hope. You are loved by God. God so much loved you that he sent his son to die for you. But I'm moving past that one. That's part of your identity. I don't want you to forget it. You are chosen by him. You are adopted and chosen. You are forgiven. Those are the things we've been talking about. In Christ, you are forgiven. You are loved, you are chosen, and you are forgiven. And this is one I do have to bring up, even for those, somebody out there who sabotaged my car yesterday. You're forgiven. Someone out there knows. These are the prime suspects. <laughs> Not me, but the others. But anyways, you need to know you're still forgiven. You're forgiven. But I want to talk about this one. You are redeemed. Because this is so fundamental to so much of the writings in the New Testament. And to be honest, I don't think we process it properly. 
Redeemed is this idea of redemption, but it's actually freed from captivity, paid for, a payment was made, and a ransom was brought, and now you've been redeemed to another. And so Paul talked about this. When we read in Romans 1, the first thing he said in Romans 1 was, I am Paul. What was his point of identity? I am a slave of Christ. Dulos. I am a bond servant of Christ. Redemption isn't just about freedom. Redemption is about a transfer of ownership. We have been bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, Paul says, Don't you know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so all of the issues that we've been talking about in our humanity of who we are, in our male-femaleness, and the gender issues we talked about, and our creativity, and the way that we are designed to live out and give glory to God, what you need to know is that when you are redeemed, what it means that you have been paid for, and you are no longer your own. You belong to another. You are a slave of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about this far enough. But when Jesus said, if you were to follow me, if you were to follow me, here's what you need to know. You must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. The reason that we have a new life in Christ is because the old life, Paul says, has been crucified with Christ. And so our new life in Christ is a redeemed life. It's a life of servanthood to Jesus Christ. And so in all the conversations that we experience in our society today, what makes us so unique in all the conversations out there is about our identity being about ourselves. It's about my body. It's about my choices. It's about who I want to be. And you just need to know that in Christ, you don't have those rights. I I think that's just gospel. That means my body belongs to him, not to me to make decisions. Now, of course, outside of Christ, the world, that doesn't even make sense. doesn't make sense. It is my body. They can do what they want. My body, I'll do what I want to my body. But for me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, all of my decisions are submitted to lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord and Savior, Savior and Lord. I reflected on that. I thought for a second, one of those we like better than the other one. We like the saved part. But to call Jesus Lord isn't just thank you for saving me. To call Lord means everything I am submits to him. And so when people come up with a question about who they are in Christ, and they say, if I came to Christ, how does that impact my roles, gender, career path, 
finances, relationships. And sometimes the church is silly to say, we pick them out and we say, oh yeah, that means this and that means this. Here's the bottom line. Every decision that you make about everything in your life, your future, your money, your relationships, your gender, your roles, your dreams, your aspirations, everything is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, it will change everything. And sometimes when people come to Christ, they want to know, will me coming to Christ change this about me? The answer to that question is, no, it changes everything about you. Everything. And so every issue we experience and every conversation that we have with the Holy Spirit when we come up to life, we submit, we deny self for the sake of the kingdom. John Piper, I was reading one of his quotes, he said this, you are owned by virtue of creation. We talked a lot about creation or identity the last part of the series. You are owned by virtue of creation. In other words, God designed you, he built you, he designed you for his glory. Therefore, his ownership is over you already. And you are owned now by virtue of purchase on the cross. So in a sense, in Christ, you are doubly owned. You're doubly not your own. You're doubly not your own. Because we first acknowledge that we were designed by him for him, and so we surrender. But now we acknowledge that Jesus paid for us, and so we surrender. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means that we have to give up every, everything. <laughs> All the rights. And you are adopted. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this more next week. But I wanted to make sure we hit the redeem. But you are adopted, which means you're not just out there now in Christ. You've been brought in somewhere. And so to be in Christ means you're adopted into a people, into a family, into a community. You've been brought into relationship with the Father for sure, that you are an heir of the Holy God. You're a child of God, that's for sure. But you're also a co-heir with the community in which he brings us into. And so fundamentally for us, our identity is one of, of surrender to Jesus Christ, that we are a slave of Christ, but another part of our identity is we are not our own, just alone either. We're actually connected, intertwined with the rest of his body, his family, his community. And so that's why next Sunday night, we're going to unpack that in a kind of a workshop way. Tomorrow, next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about that here. But this idea is that part of your identity is you're not, just, you're not only not your own in your decisions before God, you're not actually even your own in the sense of community. We are so connected into community because we're in Christ, in his body, that my, my sin impacts you. That's how connected we are. That actually if I'm to be successful and fulfill God's heart desire for who he wants me to be to reflect his glory, it involves you. We are that interconnected. We are adopted into it. I want to end with what are some reasons that we struggle with? We struggle with understanding who we are in Christ. What are some of the obstacles? I want to say this one. Past and current sin issues. Past. 
We said we're still in this old self, in a sense, here, and so we still struggle with sin. And so if you are dealing with sin on a regular basis, or you're caught up in a habitual sin you can't, you can't stop, it wreaks havoc on you understanding you're actually a different person in Christ. And so you need support and help and community and freedom from that because if you're living in a current state of habitual sin, you will never, ever understand and believe who you are in Christ. And so for some of us, we have past sins that weigh on us And every time someone tells us how much God loves us and God forgives us and God appreciates us and God draws us to himself, we hear in our head, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you don't know what I did, you don't know where I've been, you don't know that stuff. And you have a past that you have just hoped that was going to go away. And you need to know that in Christ you are forgiven, but there's some steps of repentance that we sometimes skip over. And we need to repent from a life to receive our inheritance of a new life. And often, often we try to bring Jesus into our life, but we haven't yet crucified the old way, and we do the crucifixion of the old way through acknowledgement and repentance from that. And so maybe there's something that you haven't really repented of. You haven't actually asked for forgiveness for. You haven't actually sought out reconciliation. Or maybe you haven't actually made restitution. There's a whole talk (laughs) on that. Do you know that we're actually called to do that? Forgiveness isn't just a thing and then as if we're not supposed to make reconciliation and we're not supposed to make a restitution. And so sin can keep us held back from renewing our mind, from changing our desires, to actually changing our behavior. Conflicting messages are so important. Conflicting messages, of course, come from myself, self-doubts. They can come from other people I surround myself with. And I, I didn't want to believe my parents, but I know they're true because now I'm old. But the people that you spend time with impact who you think you are. And if you allow voices all around you to be confusing and conflicting with God's truth about who you really are, it is very hard to renew your mind and get past who God says you are. So there's conflicting messages and false beliefs. The journey for us in Christ, the renewing of the remind, is a process of replacing lies with truth. And it's why you gotta be in the word. You gotta be in the word. You gotta, how do you replace lies with truth? I want you to know that's the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit's work. So place yourself in environments where the Holy Spirit promises to be at work. There's a couple places in the presence of God's people, in community, where you sing about and praise Jesus, He promises to be at work. When you read his word, he promises to be at work. And so it's important for us to be in the word ourselves. If you're not in the word yourself, the Holy Spirit's going to have a hard time demonstrating and showing you what the lies that you believe and replacing them with the truth. And if you're not in community where Jesus said, two or three gather together, I'm going to be there. And the Spirit's job is to convict 
correct, teach, and remind. And if he says his presence is going to be where people gather together in his name, then you need to place yourself in those places. Here on Sundays, but during the week, where can you gather with other people so the Holy Spirit can do his work? You're called to be so much more than I know you can see. I can't see it in myself either. It's hard for me to stand up and be so confident because I am like you. It is hard to comprehend that today my heavenly father sees me seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. But that's what it says. And if you trust Jesus, that is who you really are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these people who have gathered in your presence today before your word. I pray that you would you would just show them who you see them to be. I pray that you would minister to them, that you would point out any lies that they believe about themselves that either come from the enemy or come from themselves or come from other people, and that you would then replace those lies with the truth that they are loved, they are accepted, they belong, they are forgiven, they are set free. They are no longer slaves to the things that hold them down. They are more than conquerors. They are victorious, and they are your child. Heavenly Father, would you teach us how to live this out in a practical way in this community, with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers? that we might not demonstrate simply that having faith in you is all about what we do and don't do, but that we would be able to demonstrate to the world around us that having faith in you means we are a new creation, full of hope, because we aren't who they see us to be. We are so much more in you. Amen.